It's time for the film crickets with Jay Fortier and Chris Martineau. Hey, friends. I am Jay Fortier, along with my good friend Chris Martineau here. We are the film crickets. Uh, you know, I got to say, first off, how awesome were those contributions we just had right there? And that's nothing more awesome than free music. The voice you just heard was a good friend of ours, Steve Lavoie. He did the uh, the voiceover. I want to thank him very much. That was that was really awesome. The song, man. I mean, you ask somebody to do a song for you, and they come in like gangbusters. It was it was unbelievable. No, your your friend who who, was, who did that again? So the name of that band, Draco and the Malfoys, and I was like. Is there any chance that you guys wouldn't mind doing an intro song for us? It's exactly what I was hoping it would sound like, which is really strange for me not having any input <laughs> as to what it should look like. So, no, that was fantastic. I'm really impressed and I'm so happy that they were able to help us. So, that's really great. You know, it's kind of a strange request if you think about it, like about 30 seconds long. <laughs> you know, like, so, I got to say, thank you so much. They are so much fun. And we are a, a movie podcast. So, you know, the exact person I could have asked was a, a band that's devoted to movies. So anyways, if you want to check them out, it's evilwizardrock.com. Brian Ross and Brad Mellenbacher. I'm telling you, they are just the coolest. They're so cool. And I'm so thankful they did this for us. So please check them out. It's great. Helping out a young and up and coming podcast by two old parts with a free theme music. Fantastic. All right, so this week we're going to be talking about the movie from 1982, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I saw it, I want to say, in 1983 when I got cable, uh, my brothers were watching it. I only caught bits and pieces, and it, it was I, I always found it interesting. So I ended up renting it when I was like 14 years old. So I've seen it many, many times since then. Loved it over the years. Now I've discovered after I brought this one to the table and I said, there's just, you know, so much to it. Quote, it works on a lot of levels. Quote. Oh, yeah. Baby. That's what you said. Sure. All right. Well, I said there's many layers. All right. It's like an onion. Yeah. The thing is, I know ahead of time that you weren't as into it as I have been. So, um, mm -hmm. You know, you're going to hear two different angles <laughs> today as we and go. And that's kind of what this is about. It's just sure. discourse on the premise of the podcast, which is we watch these films from either before that we've seen or not seen, and then we kind of come to the conclusion, does it stand the test of time? So if Fast Times at Ridgemont High is such a classic that's supposed to encompass all this stuff from the 80s, if you plop it right now, is it funny? Does it work? Do you still like it? Because there are plenty of opportunities where there are plenty of movies that we liked back in the day that maybe as time goes by, don't really hold up for one reason or another. And so your passion project with Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Mm -hmm. The movie starts with the song, We Get the Beat by the Go-Go's. And yep. you get, it's the Ridgemont Mall, which is a fictitious mall. That's like basically a big character in the film as well. It starts the movie, it ends the movie. It's one of those that it, you keep going back to it because the kids, a lot of kids have jobs there. Mm -hmm. So you, you're seeing a lot of the characters that you're going to see throughout sort of walking around the mall. like Which is what we all did. The first person you actually see and get to hear, or the two, first two people are Stacy, mm -hmm. played by Jennifer Jason Lee, and yep. Linda, who is, is, it's Phoebe Cates, but I'm saying so her older, quote unquote, more mature, in the sense that more experienced. More experienced is the best way to put it. Is she much older than 
the other one, I would say she's, yeah, she was like a senior where the other one's like a sophomore. Sophomore. Keep in mind, this is a time when sophomores can work in a mall by themselves. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, they don't really do that. They don't hire anybody under 17. Right. So the 15-year-old actually like pulling a job in a mall in the 80s, that's like, that doesn't happen anymore. But yeah, so yeah, you have one that's more experienced and one that looks up to her and wants to be sexually experienced. Okay. Back in the day, in the 80s, a lot of kids just wanted to grow up. I mean, it's really like, I don't want to be an adult. Yep. You're 15 years old. It's like, not good enough. I have to get older. Now, in Stacy's yep. mind, she thinks, because I mean, her mentor is supposedly sexually active and experienced and mm -hmm. whatever. So she's saying, this is the key to getting older. Um, I'm, I'm right. now going to be an adult if I go out and have sex. So mm -hmm. her and about three or four other girls that work there get all giddy when this guy walks in and goes to sit down. He's a stereo salesman named Ron Johnson that sits down. He basically starts hitting on her. He goes, you look like you could still be in high school. And, mm -hmm. and she's like, mm, yeah, a lot of people say that. Well, damn. I mean, she's 15 years old. Now she claims yep. to be 19. So he asks for her phone number and eventually they're going to be uh, going out on a quote-unquote date. Quote-unquote. Like a date, a date in a ballpark. We're setting up the idea that this is the 80s. We have the two of the characters are one of them is looks up to the other and the other one is allegedly, though we have no evidence of it, directly an adult or going towards being an adult in terms of this sexual identity, mm -hmm. if you will. Okay. Then you meet Mark Ratner along mm -hmm. with uh, Mike Damone over at the movie theater. And the, the funniest thing, too, Mark Ratner's the ticket taker, and he's giving everybody directions if they'd like to smoke in the theater. <laughs> Smoking's upstairs yeah. to your left. Mm -hmm. Smoking's upstairs yep. to your left. Smoking's upstairs. He keeps saying that over and over, and it's like, whoa, holy shit. You could yep. actually smoke in a theater back then. In a closed room. It's so wrong, but, like, wonderful to mm -hmm. hear. You know, like, yeah, I'm glad that that gets out there because it's just so funny. It's like, wow, yep. what a thought. We used to smoke on planes, restaurants. Yeah, oh, oh the, yeah. The I, I like personally the the smoking when when I was uh, go back to the Papaginos days. So we go to I would go to the mall and go to Papaginos, and they had the smoking section and the non-smoking section at Papaginos, and they were right next to each other <laughs> with no divider. Probably it's like a shitload of sense, doesn't it? Because smoke just stops. Maybe if we're lucky, 10 feet apart. Yeah, maybe. No, we're smoking fine. Or are you going like, oh, there's no ashtray on this table. Uh, must be the non-smoking section. So Mike Damone is the uh, Mark Ratner's friend. Mark Ratner's the ticket taker. He's the geek. Mike Damone's kind of acting like he's the coolest guy on the planet. Acts yep. like his shit's all together. Yep. And talking to Ratner. And Ratner's like, I wish I was elsewhere. He goes, hey, you know, you, you're, you're all right. You got, you got a good job. You're the assistant to the assistant manager of the movie theater. <laughs> and you realize that Mike Damone is also a ticket scalper because kids walk up to him right away and say, you, you're the guy with the Van Halen tickets. He's working angles left, right, back. And forth. Well, you get the vibe about Damone is that he talks a mean game to everyone because he's always looking for an angle. That's his bag. He himself... I don't think actually has an identity. I think he's just playing, here's what he thinks he should be to everybody. And he himself doesn't know exactly who he is or how to act or what the right decisions are, particularly when he dates that girl later. So I, I think that's, a, that's an interesting take in that. Do you? So the question I have before you go further with Mike Damone, 
Do you like him? Um, overall or at first? Do you laugh at what he says? I, at first, I, I enjoy him. Sure. I, I do, too. I do, too. Like, I watch him and I go, all right, he's obviously kind of a slickster that doesn't really, he thinks he has his shit together, but he really doesn't have his shit together. Like, he's the guy that tells you that he slept with five people when really he's probably masturbated once. Yeah. Well, the thing is, too, though, you're not yet clued in on when you're watching the film for the first time or whatever that he doesn't have anything together. You know what I mean? You just, you see, he really sells it well. Right, right. So we're made to like him. Oh, absolutely. Yep. So he's fun to watch. Are you aware that it was a book about real people? Well, allegedly Cameron Crowe, if I'm reading this right, Cameron Crowe wrote this about his own experiences at a high school in San Diego, if I'm not mistaken. He was 22 years old. He had already been writing for Rolling Stone for a long time. Uh, he was like a, a child writer for them. Like, do you, you ever see Almost Famous? No, but I know the deal. All right. So basically, that's his story, kind of. He signed a book deal with Simon & Schuster and went undercover at 22 years old, posing as a student for a year and writing a story on these people. Who allows that? I, well, apparently in 1970-something, like 79 okay, or something, 1980. Guys, i got to peel back the curtain here. I'm a public school teacher, so in my day, and i got to tell you, that's just not going to fly at all. So we then meet Brad, uh, which is Stacy's brother. He's older, Judge Reinhold. He's at All American Burger, which is like, in his eyes, the coveted right. fast food job. He is so into it. He shows up. He was like, Daddy's yep. home, boys, referring to the French fries, takes a basket of fries, right. says, I shall serve no fries before their time, yep. dumps them out <laughs> like into the track. Well, I will make the judgment on these fries. Because he's sitting there going, nope. No, I am so good at doing this. I will claim whether or not they live or die. Now, there's a deleted scene, or I'm sorry, like an extended scene that never made it into the thing, where the manager goes, Hamilton, did you just throw these fries away? And he takes one and eats it out of the trash and <laughs> says, they're perfectly good. He's like, but they weren't mine, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. But it's like that that gives you a, an insight of what type of confident guy Brad is. The vibe I got, and I haven't written in my notes, the vibe I get off of John Reinhold through the whole movie, he's a teenager who legit thinks he's an adult because he's got, he knows responsibility. Mm -hmm. He works. He wants to pay off his car. He's got a steady girlfriend. He's at a job that respects him. And so he thinks he's an adult more than anybody else, even though. No, he is not an adult. You're flipping fries and you're flipping burgers and you're wearing a hat and working at a cash register. So really, you're not an adult, but he has that vibe that he is large and in charge, though he is not large and in charge, as opposed to Mike Damone, who thinks he's large and in charge, but really has nothing. Brad also, though, has, I would say, the most reality about it. Absolutely. I mean, like he, he, he's trying so hard to do all the right things. Yep. He wants to make the car payments. He's like, hey, six more payments and this beauty is mine. Right. He's washing the car. You know, he's, he's doing anything he can to prove. In fact, he thinks this senior year is going to be so good that – I'm going to break up with my beautiful girlfriend because I, I want to be free because it's just like everything's just going to be happening. Mm -hmm. doesn't quite go in that direction. Well, as you learn as an adult, the best laid plans don't actually actually happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, the guy who had the least amount of screen time, but the main focal point for some reason on all the artwork and everything 
that we meet is Jeff Spicoli. Sure. Now, he doesn't have a ton of screen time or lines nope. in this movie, but he, because he's such a method actor, he really embodied this guy yep. to the point where that seems to stick out in everyone's mind. Also, the fact that they kind of picked up on it. So they put him on the poster art and they put him in all the stuff. And it's like, it's amazing how that came about because he is not barely in the film in, in some senses compared to, let's say, Stacy. No, he, he is not an integral part of any important plot point. Spicoli no. is just there. He's almost like, if, I don't want to get too heady here, but if you're looking at Shakespeare, right, and you look at Shakespeare's tragedies, there's always the clown that comes in that has nothing to do with the story and just kind of mixes shit up. And he interacts with the main characters in the story, the clown, but doesn't right. really forward the story at all. But you don't mind because it's a break from the story. Right. And the thing is, I think it's so Cameron Crowe wrote it, but he didn't direct. It. Amy Heckerling was the director. I call this movie a, a dramedy. It's not sure. just a comedy. There's nope. a lot of darker stuff yes, in there. Most definitely. That people maybe don't see. And sometimes I think they tend to forget about it and they go right back to Spicoli. Right. When they when they talk about it, they talk about two things. Phoebe Cates coming out of the swimming pool, taking her top off, and Jeff Spicoli. It's yep. really the two things that yep. people remember Pretty much. from the film. And then the, the other stuff is there. But here's the best part about that. Every time it gets dark and serious, it's like, here comes Spicoli to make you forget. So, But it's done, I think, so well as far as the timing of that, because it's like, okay, don't worry. I know you feel unsafe right now. Here's some safety. I give you that. I love it. A classic example of that with Spicoli is he's always, let me put it this way, he's he juxtaposes all of the seriousness in the movie. So he is the exact opposite of Mr. Hand. He is a different time and a different culture. Mr. Hand is old school. He's new school, right? And he pisses off mm -hmm. Mr. Hand left and right. And he also juxtaposes Judge Reinhold at the end of the movie, who's supposed to have his shit together. But it, it's, it's him and Spicoli. And Spicoli says, why don't you get a job? And he's like, I don't need a job, man. I just need, what is it? A tasty wave, cool buzz, and I'm fine. Nobody can live their life like that, but he's just there to keep everybody in check. If you get a little too serious, he puts you back in check. And the thing, and I, and I got to say something about Spicoli, which I admire as a character, is this. He, again, I'm a teacher and I'm not Mr. Hand, but shit doesn't fly in my room because if you do, that's a long day. Nobody misbehaves in my room. And it's not because I'm an asshole. It's because it's it's easier for me if you guys just stay in line. And I try to make it so that people stay in line. And Mr. Hand is like that. Jeff Spicoli pisses off Mr. Hand, but Jeff Spicoli is not a bad person. He he doesn't right. he breaks the rules, but he's not an asshole. He just doesn't care. That's why you can side with him. He's not a bad person. No, he just doesn't get it. Whereas Mike Damone is a bad person. You know what I mean? Kind of at his, at his core. It's Spicoli, isn't it? But there is, you know, we'll get to Mike again after on why he is a bad person. But okay. there's also, there's some depth there too, like, you know, as far as the way he was written. It wasn't just douchebag. I, I get it. So then you get to meet Mark Ratner again. Mark Ratner is the one that's in love with Stacy. He's the geeky guy who's in love with her. 
he doesn't know how to approach her. He's saying, you know, I really like this girl that I saw in science class, which funny, uh, how many monkeys have you ever seen in oh, science class? Oh, that's what class? I thought. No, that is totally <laughs> against the rules. Oh, my God. Oh, that didn't even happen in the 80s, Jay. There were no fucking monkeys. That's awesome. Like, what, though, isn't that great? Yeah. Come on. Oh, so funny. Come on. Jesus Christ. Let's go back to Stacy a bit before we get to Mark Ratner falling in love with her because she goes on a date first. She falls, she goes on a date with this guy that she meets at the pizza place that we were talking about earlier. He's 26. By the way, the only mom or adult you see is Stacy's mom for half a second. What a contrast this is. She's tucking her 15 year old daughter in. I mean, just pure innocence. She walks out of the room. Stacy is now revealing the fact that she is dressed, climbs out the window. Jackson Brown, somebody's baby comes on and she's running down the street to go where? To a street corner to go get picked up by this guy. Now, 26. Obviously, he knows what he's doing because he doesn't seem to mind the fact that he's picking somebody up on a street corner. (laughs) Never mind. You know, he could have said, you know, where's your apartment? Where's your house? No street corner. No problem. Now, I think this I don't know this for a fact, but I would say that this is probably done on purpose by Amy Heckerling. The street corner that she's being picked up on spray painted in the background is the words wasted youth. Oh, all right. I thought that was pretty cool. No, directors that uh, directors have ultimate control over every frame, so she knows it's there and kept it. Uh, Ron Johnson, this guy, picks her up in like the slick car. It's like a, a Nissan 300ZX, something like that. He's taking her and he's like, so where would you like to go? And she's like, uh, I don't know, wherever you want to go. He's like, how about the point? Yeah. It's like the place where everybody goes to have sex in high school yeah. or I guess if you're 26, uh, I don't know. No, if you're 20, that's gross. Well, of okay. course, of course. Yeah. Right? No, but he takes her to the most romantic place on earth, a little league dugout. Nothing gets my flowing like, like a little league dugout. Now, here's the cool part. Now, you can say, cool part, this is terrible. No, of course it is. You had revealed that who the hell wants to see a 15-year-old girl wanting to have sex with a 26-year-old or anything? Of course, Mm -hmm. yes, you're right. You should feel like crap when you're watching that because that's exactly what she wants you to feel. This girl is making a terrible choice. Obviously, she's not the main problem there. I mean, he's the bigger problem because he's the adult. He should know better. They go to the Little League dugout. Now, the cool part is that she... Amy Heckerling shows it from a girl's point of view. Yeah. Now, the camera angle is looking up <laughs> when, when they start to have sex. Oh, by the way, before they actually have sex, Ron kisses her for a second. He goes, are you sure you're 19? Why? Because he probably picks up on the fact that she's got yeah. zero experience kissing because that was pretty rough. He goes, are you sure you're 19? Yeah. She goes, yes, okay. I really am. I'm 19. It's like he doesn't say anything after that. His brain is going, I checked. I, yeah. I asked. Good enough for me. And the box is checked. Because he doesn't care. He wants to have sex with an underage girl, apparently. You know what I mean? He knows what he's doing. Next thing you know, they're showing, after he unbuttons her, and she, first off, they show her wince, which is, I would say, you know, I mean, that's definitely thank you to uh, Amy Heckerling. Then the camera angle is from her view. Ron Johnson is getting off, and he is not even looking at her. He's just doing its thing True. now what does she see above her the right. most romantic thing on the planet spray painted the words surf nazis <laughs> okay 
All right. Now, because yep. every woman on the planet thinks about the first time they're going to do it and they want to imagine the word surf Nazis above their head. Now, so obviously it's terrible, but she's, she, you see her the mm-hmm. next day walking around with her friend at school, Linda, who, uh, so mm-hmm. she's like, so do you like him? Oh, yeah, I love him. You know, I like him a lot. You know, it hurts so much. And he's like, she's like, trust me, do it some more. It's going to feel much better. So, like, I mean, she, the mentor, thinks she's giving pearls yep. of wisdom. She's not giving pearls of wisdom. She's giving horrible, horrible advice. <laughs> of course. Yeah. But I think she, her version of it, see, a lot of people I've heard over the years would say, oh, she's just lying. No, I don't think Who's she's lying? lying straight up. Linda, Phoebe Cates. I don't think she's lying. I think she's lying about aspects of her truth, meaning uh, how long does he take? Well, he takes uh, 20 to 30 minutes. Really? I thought you said he th- takes 30 to 40 minutes. That's what I, that's what I meant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so in that case, I think she's embellishing, but I think what happened to her years ago or like a year or two ago, this guy that she's talking about, Doug, who's supposedly her fiance from Chicago that's going to college. I think that he was kind of like a Ron Johnson, maybe like a year or, a year or two older than she was, had sex with her. She thinks that that's what life's about. That's being an adult. I'm now going to pass this wonderful information on to Stacy okay. without giving her any warning. Right. About what could happen. But see, this movie doesn't have really any adults that are guiding anybody. It's always just an older friend. Isn't that the vibe of the 80s anyway? Isn't that what they're trying to catch? Whenever there's an 80 flashback, besides the fact that it's horrible fashion and besides the fact that everybody's at the mall, really the idea is that the parents are absolutely not a factor in anybody's life. That's the whole point of Stranger Things. Where are the kids? I don't know. That's the point of uh, Super 8, if you saw Super 8. Where are the kids? I don't know. They're somewhere. Let's come back. And so that's what's going on here. You have a bunch of young people that have zero guidance, even though, is that true? Did we really have zero guidance as when we were growing up? Because we were from that era. Did we have zero guidance? I know that we were out and basically no one could keep tabs on us. And we were learning everything basically not from the streets because we were from friggin' North Smithfield. You can't say the streets. But I mean, we just learned from each other and all of us are equally clueless. So really, like, is that what they're saying with this movie? Is that all of the young people basically have no guidance at all? No, no. I think that they are no longer looking for it from their parents. So, well, I mean, not everyone. I think some of them don't have good guidance uh, from their parents. So I think people like Stacy are, are trying to break free and say, I'm an adult, so I'm going to go do adult things. What's adult? Okay. Sex. Okay. I think that's what what's going to make sure. me an adult. She doesn't, she's not looking for the guidance from her mom. She wants it from the one that's like okay. an adult, but just sure. above her. You know what I mean? That, that's right. cool. Now, let's get to the guy Mike Damone and Mark Ratner. Stacy ends up going out with Mark Ratner after he asks her out at the at the mall. He goes up to her, awkwardly asks her out, and she th- because the guy Ron leaves her some flowers, but he never actually calls right. her because he used her and that's it. Yeah. He's done. So she's like, okay, well, I mean, I got to, you know, go get the next thing. Mark Ratner asks her out and she's like, oh, great. He's interested. Let's go. They are about to go on a date, but in her eyes, She's not looking at him as this really stable relationship. She's thinking, that's the next person I'm going to have sex with. (laughs) We can talk about their date in a minute, but eventually at the end of the date, that's the one thing she's trying to do. He's an awkward person. Well, he's, he's just uninformed. But he has a good heart. Of course. Very good. So this right here could be a good decision on her part to be with him. But, you know, she's still going about it the wrong way. She is going Mm -hmm. about it 
in the, I have to go out and have sex with this guy. And he's like, whoa, I'm not ready for that. I'm, <laughs> I have zero experience. Wouldn't know what to do. He takes her to this German restaurant. And what's really funny about this, and I never noticed this until this time. This is them attempting once again to be adults. They go to this restaurant that doesn't look fun at all. You know, I mean, these giant chairs that look like they belong in maybe someone's weird living room. <laughs> these like really high backed yep. chairs. Now, the part that I noticed that I didn't notice before is if you look around the restaurant, the adults that are sitting at the tables are in the same chairs, but they're fitting in them normally. The two that are at the table are really short. So they make them look like children. Looking like children or the Council of Elrond, one of the two. These people don't belong yep. and they shouldn't be trying this right now. That type of thing. It was just like a subtle reference to what they shouldn't be doing. So they have the thing. He forgets his wallet, calls Mike. Mike says, uh, what? You know, oh, I'm really busy. He's just drinking milk out of a carton. <laughs> watching some black and white movie or something like that. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, no, I don't know if I can do it. All right, fine. You owe me, though. So he, he ends up bringing the thing. And then she looks up and sees he's kind of cool. Sparks a little interest. Long story short, their their date ends. Mike leaves. He just, you know, he brings the wallet, introduces himself. They end up at her house. Nobody's home. Now, this is how aggressive she still thinks she needs to be. She's like, can you help me unzip this dress? Like, you know, next thing you know, she's in a bathrobe. They're on her bed looking at pictures. It's just like some sort of a vehicle to get to the sex. Like, it's like, how can we be social for just a few minutes before I start making out? And then so she starts making out with him. They start to lie down. He's like, "Um, uh, my sister's going to freak if I don't get her car back soon. Uh, I got to go. She's like, really? He ends up bailing because he's not ready for this. He's not ready no. to have sex. And that's okay. Rightfully so. He's probably 16 mm-hmm. years old. She basically puts two and two and thinks he doesn't like me. So she sees Mike Damone. She's getting more interested. She sees him after school. She decides she wants to take him to her house. And he's following her. I mean, mm-hmm. at the same time, he's trying to say, you know, Mark Rantner really likes you. He's just doing what he can supposedly for his friend. But. Really, he's saying it's my turn. But it's funny, though, Mm -hmm. at least if nothing else, Amy Heckerling shows some sort of a concern on his face as he's like out on the street, ready to go into her house. You know, like you can see him struggling with the fact. But at the same time, he's like, this is what I've been working for for my whole life because I haven't had any experience either. Nobody knows that I've been working, Mm -hmm. you know, so hard putting out that vibe. So they're sitting at the kitchen table. Must be nice having a pool. She's like, you want to go swimming? You can wear my brother's uh, shorts. Uh, they're at the pool house. They go to the pool house. Next thing you know, in long story short, she says, she's like, are you going to take off your clothes? <laughs> you know, like after they kiss for yeah. like half a second. What song starts back up? But somebody's baby, Jackson Brown. Same song that was right. playing as she was going out to meet Ron Johnson. He lies down on top of the couch. Next thing you know, she's like, uh, wait, Mike, Mike. Next thing you know over over. he finishes in like two seconds and then here's how much experience he has he goes uh i I think i came (laughs) he's not even sure right and he's like didn't you feel it right like he's freaking out he's like i gotta go and he leaves she's still lying there like uh bye Mm -hmm. i want to say what like a week later you find out that she's pregnant from whom huh from whom from mike damone it doesn't have to be Mike Damone. Could be a 26-year-old. Oh, no. that was, I think time had ticked. It did? 
Okay. Yeah. All right. They showed Christmas at one. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Yep. And he's like acting like a dick at first. He's like, you wanted it more than I did. Mm -hmm. She's like, no, take that back. And he's like, all right. All right. I'll take it back. And she's like, all right. So it's a hundred, what was it? $150, you know, at the free clinic, you can pay half. She wants to get an abortion. And he was, you know, he was like, yeah, let's definitely do Mm -hmm. that. Because I mean, neither of them love each other and that's their thing. I mean, whether you're anti-abortion or for abortion, it's not, I don't even want to semi go down that road. Yeah. I'm just talking about this effect of the film. So they go to do yeah. that. Well, in the film, honestly, you know, to be honest, it doesn't make, it doesn't give you an angle either way. It's not like it's saying it was bad or good. Mm-hmm. It's just is a decision that was made. So it doesn't. And at the time, again, the eighties, no one's thinking of that anyway. Like that's not a thing yet necessarily that people get all up in arms about. Now, my absolute favorite moment in this film is when she goes downstairs, she had her brother drop her off across the street at the bowling alley. He sees her in a rearview mirror run across the street to the free yeah. clinic. He puts two and two sure. together. So he's waiting for her outside. And I got to say, it's just, it warms you up because it makes you realize what a great person Brad is. Sure, because he, he's the only adult. So he's waiting for her. He doesn't have a judgmental look on her. He's like, just basically, you know, yeah. Yeah, I'm here for you. Yep. He asks, you know, who did it? And she's like, he doesn't want to say anything. He's like, it's okay. It'll be your secret. Are you hungry? And he takes it, you know, he wants to take her, you know, get her some food mm-hmm. and make her feel better. Obviously, Mike never showed up for the abortion. So he never gave her the 75, the half of the money. He didn't take her. Yeah. So before the abortion, you see him actually trying to get the money. He can't. What does he do? Panics. Does nothing. Yeah. She's trying to call him. She calls his house. She says, is Mike there? The mom says, "Um, hold on. He says he's helping his father, yeah. his father in the garage. Right. She took half a second before she learned this information. So she obviously lied for Mike. Th- this is where I want to go back of just a hair from Mike. Really, I don't think he had a shitload of guidance from his parents at all in the sense of good guidance. He has a regulation bar in his fucking room where he's making cocktails. True. If you look in the background, okay, yeah. you see bottles like uh, like actually hard mm-hmm. liquor bottles. He's making a, a, an actual cocktail. And these bottles are just sitting there. If these parents were any type True. of parents. So it, I'm not giving him a free pass, not even mm-hmm. a little bit. Okay. But I'm just thinking he probably didn't have a, a shitload of help. So he's putting himself out there as the big badass and does all the stuff. And then when it comes down to the real nitty gritty, when you got to go do the right thing, you freak and you do zero. And that's the big dick move on his part. You could say he doesn't get his comeuppance in the film. There is something the next day. Stacy says to Linda, she's like, he never even showed. And he's like, he's a little prick. And he's like, no, I don't really like the guy. He's not a guy. He's a little prick. So next thing you know, you see him wake up. Little prick is all over the place. Yeah. The word prick is spray painted on his car. The word little prick is on his locker in like permanent ink. Right. And he has to cover with a notebook. Uh, His locker is about like, five inches from the, the girl's room. They're all coming out giggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So something's in the girl's room. Well, that's what I'm saying. And he has zero control over what's there. He can cover up the one on his locker. He can cover up the one. And so you can say he didn't, he didn't really get it. Any type of effort he ever made to make himself be the cool guy, gone. In fact, for the rest of high school, he might have this, whatever's written in that bathroom. 
<laughs> that may follow him for the rest of the time. And then good luck going past it. Is it enough? Probably not. Most likely not. But I mean, they can't always in every film tie up every loose end. No, we're not looking for a loose end because it's just a, a journey. It's not friggin' high school musical where you have to end it with graduation just to put a friggin' period at the end of the sentence. It can be open-ended mm -hmm. and that's fine. Um, I do like what you said about Mike and that no matter what he does, he's not going to get his cool back. And I think we as viewers, when we're looking at Mike at first, yeah, he's got the bar in his room and he's got he seems to be all cool and he's got the scarf and he can scalp tickets and so on and so forth. But then when you see him at those final things, what's he driving? He's driving an AMC Gremlin. Like, I don't care what decade you're from. Sucks. <laughs> yeah. And when, right before the scene where he sees a little prick put in, in graffiti on his AMC Gremlin coming out of basically what? Like a shitty apartment, like a two-level shitty. Like that's where he lives. He lives in a dump. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, even whatever cool he has has been stripped from because now we know the truth. He drives a Gremlin. And he lives in a shithole, and he himself is basically an empty shell. Mm -hmm. uh, it's all a front. He's not true to himself. The only person that's true to themselves is Judge Reinhold and Spicoli, as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. Those are the only, like, Zen characters that are actually, like, true to themselves, living in the moment. Like, this is me, and you can't dissuade it. Everybody else vacillates, but that's just me. Now, real quick, let's do the, the Forrest Whitaker. Uh, yeah, Forrest Whitaker. It's funny. He's only 6'2", but they made him out to be like Michael Orr, the, the guy from the blind sure. side. Yeah, giant. Yeah. When you see him standing next to Mike Damone, he's like seven inches taller, but he's really not. You see him pull up at the beginning of the film with a Camaro. Jeff Spicoli yep. and Forrest Whitaker, uh, Charles Jefferson's younger brother, are hanging out. They're driving that Camaro while his brother's out of town. Right. Jeff Spicoli, who's wasted, is just driving yeah. all over the place, totally reckless, not listening to directions. When he finally takes a right, ends up crashing the car. He's like, oh, my father's a, a TV repairman. He's got a major set of tools. and I can fix it. He's like, you can't fix this car, Spicoli. I can fix it. I can fix it. <laughs> and you see him. It's even worse, I think. He destroyed it even further. Leaves it outside uh, Ridgemont High. With the word Lincoln kills, die, Ridgemont. Lincoln is the rival school that they're about to yep. have a football game against. And you see Jefferson coming out and seeing all the spray paint. So they made it look like the rival school destroyed his car. Right. And you see Spicoli still standing there, very serious. He's got the little winter hat. He's still wearing black. It's like he just came from the crime. And you see like, oh, man, he's going to he's gonna fuck them up. Next thing you know, they see the game. He's destroying everyone. He's destroying everyone. You hear the name mm -hmm. Jefferson, 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 Jefferson. And, yep. and it's like 42 to nothing when the game is over. <laughs> so right. It was really like a funny uh, so he fixed cartoon it. moment. Right. That's what Spicoli is. He's a cartoon moment in a dark movie. <laughs> It'd be wrong if we didn't talk about the scene that Judge Reinhold has the fantasy of Phoebe Cates coming out of the pool. It was such a popular scene that there's a something on for anybody who's not familiar with VCRs, VCRs had something called tracking. So if the picture was a little messed up, you could maybe adjust tracking and see if that fixed it. Well, tracking was always messing yep. up around this scene. <laughs> <laughs> because yep. too many guys were pausing it or, or rewinding it and playing it over right and over. There. So they had to keep repurchasing the VHS copy. <laughs> I'm more for the shower scene in Back to School personally, but whatever. Judge Reinhold looks out the window when he goes into his house. She, uh, Phoebe Cates, Stacy are, are swimming in the pool with Mike Damone and Ratner. He basically has a masturbation fantasy about 
Phoebe Cates coming out of the pool and taking her top off. The song, by the way, phenomenal. Yep. Moving in stereo. I loved it with or without that scene. <laughs> so it didn't matter. It's such right. a great song. Now, the funny part is she walks in, gets some water in her ear, goes into the bathroom, accidentally catches him masturbating. And the, 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 the funny part is like, doesn't anybody fucking knock anymore? And you see her walk yeah. away all disgusted. Well, Judge Reinhold brought a black dildo to set. Yeah, I heard that. So when she opens the door, saw it for the first time and jumped back and her reaction was real. He did that to get her to react funny. So let's wrap it up with Spicoli walks into the Mighty Mart, which is like the third job Brad Hamilton has. The firing of of Judge Reinhold from his glory job. Yeah, because he mouthed off at a douchebag customer that treated him like shit. I'm going to 100% kick your ass, I believe is the quote. That's awesome. It's such a great moment. He has since worked at two other places. But he ends up getting fired. And then he ends up working for a place called Captain Hook Fish and Chips, which yep. is so funny because he, he's driving down the street doing a delivery, hates wearing the uniform, doesn't realize he's wearing the hat, which is like a very, like, very old, cartoony captain's hat. Yeah, pirate hat. Yeah. Doesn't realize, looks to the left, smiles at this cute girl in car uh, who's smiling at him. Doesn't realize he, she's probably laughing at the fact that he's wearing this goofy hat. <laughs> then he looks in the mirror yeah. and says, screw this, I'm quitting. And he starts throwing everything out the window <laughs> as he's driving down the street. Do you know who the girl was? I don't remember. It's Cameron Crowe's longtime girlfriend. I don't think he's with her anymore, but uh, that's Nancy Wilson, uh, the guitarist from Heart. Really? Yeah. I did not put two and two together on that. Yeah. All right. Wow. Okay. So Brad Hamilton ends up at the Mighty Mart, miserable. You can see he's really like, hey, how you doing? You know, I don't have that job I used to have, and I'm two jobs mm-hmm. removed. And Spicoli walks in and goes, you worked at All-American Burger. He's like, that was six months, months ago. ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And whatever he's buying, he puts a couple things on the counter. Then you see him just putting loose change on the counter, which is not nearly enough. To buy this no. stuff, Brad starts bagging the shit anyway. He's not paying attention. Yeah, whatever. He's just going to let him have it for whatever yep. those three. Because he goes, why don't you get a job, Spicoli? And he's like, what for? And he's like, you need money. He's like, all I need is a tasty wave, cool buzz, and I'm fine. I'm he's fine. Like, <laughs> right? And he's like, hey, can I use your bathroom? Gets over there up, up on the left. Up this ramp? No. So the first door on the left. And you see him go up the ramp. He's all innocent. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Uh, yeah. He goes up the thing. Guy comes in to rob the place, acting like really like cocaine. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, he's all, he's all juiced out. Yeah. Right. Hey, I, I, I'm in case in the place. The safe is behind the donuts. Hurry the fuck up. Treating him like shit. And he's like, hey, give me a break, asshole. They just taught me the combo. And then Spicoli comes back. He goes, hey. Uh, and he asks him something. So the robber turns. Brad throws a coffee pot in, in the guy's face and jumps over the thing, sh- points a gun at him, and the Oingo Boingo song starts up, goodbye, goodbye. And you see, right. like, title cards that say what happened to everybody. Wasn't that a trope of the 80s that you were, it was almost like the end credits in a Marvel movie, like you were waiting for those, and, and in five years, he became the manager, and then they got married, but then got divorced. Wasn't that a thing? Maybe. Um, but I think in this case, what people have said about this movie is that there's really no plot. It's just more of a glimpse in the life of a bunch of teens that are sure. going through this this year. No, as long as you're telling a good story, it doesn't look the plot. Plots are important, but it doesn't matter if you care about the characters, if the story is well written and it moves along and you, and you care. As long as you care what happens to the people in it, plot is nice. But you can just watch it, and that's fine because you're invested 
in the characters because you care about them because they've been written well enough that they're deep enough that you care what happens to them, bad or good. Mm-hmm. So that's okay. It's all right that there isn't a plot. You're right. It's just a big, long tale. It's time now for final judgment. Are you ready to rubber stamp this bitch? Here's the final judgment. All right, and that's final judgment. Uh, what was that, Lavoy again? Steve Lavoy, thank you so much, my man. All right, so so now it's the point in the, in the podcast where we decide whether or not this film holds up the test of time. So generally speaking, I loved your analysis of it. I think the stuff that we agree on, we agree on. I think that Spicoli is a classic character. He's the clown of the thing. He doesn't need a place in the movie. He doesn't need to drive the plot. He's just there to make his smile again. He's not a bad person. I think you could just watch his scenes over and over again. The scenes with Mr. Han have nothing to do with anything else, but it doesn't matter because you like watching it. Judge Reinhold's character is fantastic because he's the only one that's an adult in the whole thing. Past that, if you ask me if it holds up today, I'm going to say to you that it doesn't. And the reason that it doesn't is the following. Again, I'm a teacher and we're looking at this from the viewpoint of an 80s movie. And 80s, like 80s nostalgia is big. That's why Stranger Things is so huge. And that's why, like, I've watched so many documentaries on, on Amazon Prime about people that collect, like, old horror movies on VHS. And they really like VHS versus Betamax. And people are really like, it's called La Belle Epoque, right? You really are looking, the, the Belle Epoque means the beautiful times. So you're really looking back on the 80s and, and, and wondering, oh, how cool was that? Everything was so innocent and whatnot. But the point of fact is, is that if you took this movie and you showed it to people today, I don't think that they would necessarily laugh at the same things. And the reason they wouldn't laugh at it or it actually would find it cringy is because these days you wouldn't release a movie where we're looking at the sexual activity of a sophomore in high school. She's 15. That's gross. And I understand that. The actors, everybody in high school in the 80s, like if you were the 18 year olds look 32 and they tried to make them look older so it wouldn't be so gross. But even and I got to tell you this, like I teach ninth graders, I teach 10th graders, I teach the 12th graders. And I'm not saying this because I'm an old fart. I don't care about the sexual innuendo. I don't care about the raunchiness. It Whatever drives the movie, as long as it's not like ridiculously out of hand gross. But. Even ninth graders who are 15 and 10th graders are 15 and probably have seen some shit, even they would probably think it was kind of cringy to watch uh, someone come out of a pool and take their top off and watch another guy jack to it. Because it's just, it's just, I'm curious. Even they, even though they themselves have probably been involved in that situation, it's not going to fly. They're going to think it's kind of gross. And so I don't think, I think it would probably make people go, oh, that's not really funny. That's just, because this is a whole generation. You understand, like the young people now, the generation is, they're all about cringy. Like they're all worried about what's cringy and what's not. And they would think it's cringy. They wouldn't think that Spicoli was cringy. They would like, like Judge Reinhold's thing. Um, They would like the scenes with the football. But when you see a 15-year-old filleting a carrot in a cafeteria, they're going to think that's gross. And so I just don't think like I'm watching the scenes going, oh, God, I don't I don't think that's going to fly. And, and if you ask me, like if you presented this script today to a film studio and said, make this movie, I don't think people are going to make it. I think they're going to change it. They're going to make it so that and because also keep in mind too, the in it, what we like about it is, quote unquote, 
the innocence of it. Again, the kids are detached from their parents. They're not learning from anything from anybody. But now in the age of social media, in the age of the, their freaking phones, like everybody's learning everything from everybody else, whether that's bad or good. And we don't need to have an open discussion on how to give oral sex to a carrot in a cafeteria. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like that shit doesn't happen. Or, or, or we don't, or, or the whole abortion bit, right? So, okay, abortion, that's like a big decision, right? Well, nowadays, guess what? You don't need to go to your parents, even though she didn't, to get an abortion. They'll just give it to you. Or if you had sex and you didn't want it and you think you might get pregnant, you can go get a plan B pill and everything's fine. Now, I'm not going to go into whether or not that's right or wrong, but that's the day and age that we live in. So the stuff that we find is interesting to driving the character's motivations doesn't exist anymore. And so for that reason, I don't think it necessarily holds up. Well, the Spicoli stuff fucking holds up because because it just does. And also, my only point is that when Cameron Crowe was writing this, again, there's no internet, there's no social media, it's all radio and TV. And there was a big, and I remember hearing about this in, in middle school, high school, whatever, is that the East, West Coast, California would come up with new ideas and then it would kind of work its way across the United States until suddenly the East Coast was like, oh, we heard about this thing that the West Coast is doing. By the time we got it, the West Coast thought of a new idea that right. suddenly made it. And that's the vibe. Like, we love Spicoli because we didn't know anybody on the East Coast that was like Spicoli. And nobody in the East knew anybody that was like Spicoli. And it took a while for people for that to work its way across the United States. But now in the age of the Internet, everybody's Spicoli because everybody has the California vibe if they want it. And so that's why I don't think it necessarily holds up because that that magic of that's California and it's almost like another reality doesn't exist anymore. And so that's why I don't think it doesn't hold up in terms of it just doesn't get made. I don't think the movie gets made unless you market it as Stranger Things where it's this shit's from the 80s and let's like really glam on the vibe of the 80s. And the, the grossness of 15-year-olds getting naked. Oh, God. So my take is I look at it this way. Bad choices are universally something that anyone can relate to because whether they've made a ton of themselves or they've seen other people make them, they know that somebody's making a terrible choice. They can see, oh, geez, oh, oh. God, that is terrible. Uh, like I said, yeah. you should feel like sure. crap when you're watching uh, Stacy go go for this 26 year old. I, the reason I say it does hold up is I think one, it's written well. Two, they can pick up on the fact that this is wrong, and at the same time, they can also see her eventually at the end when she decides to go back with Mark Ratner again. She at that yeah. point says, you know. I don't think I want sex. Not that sex is a bad thing, but she was using it for the wrong reason. She was going after it right. as a tool to get older. I don't sure. want that. I want romance. And then one of my favorite lines is Phoebe Kate saying, romance? We can't even get cable TV here and you want romance. And it's funny because they call it cable TV, not cable. I think the reason I think people could still enjoy if they hadn't seen it before is, yes, that's cringeworthy. But 
It's not like she's doing it throughout the whole film. I mean, every scene where we're going, oh, God, no, like yeah. not again. It's not like she did it 30 times. She did it twice, sure. really, yeah, right. technically. So you see her going for these things. Everyone's uncomfortable. We know that. But they don't keep you there. Mm-hmm. And at least at the end, you get to see her choose the good guy, even after she's already gone down this terrible road and, and, and things, you know, didn't work out. She okay. at least said, I'm going to go back and try to be a kid again. Sure. He and I are just going to date and he's the right choice. And at least you got to see her go through that character arc where she is starting in one section, became something else. And she grew, grew into a child. So sure. let's end on that note. So next week, one, we want to thank everybody for for li- for listening. Anybody who did listen today, this is our first episode. Thank you yep. so much. We are the Film Crickets. And I tell you, right. I once again want to reiterate my thanks. Steve Lavoie who did who's doing the voices and Brian Ross and Brad Mellenbacher from Draco and the Malifoys and if you want to check them out, it's at evilwizardrock.com. Awesome. Awesome. I I can't thank you guys enough. It's such a great song. So thank you guys. And uh, next week we are going to do the movie. Joe versus the volcano. The one, the Tom Hanks film that no one really saw. Uh, this is your um, passion project. So this, um, is my, this is my deal. I remember watching this back in the day. It was on VHS at my aunt's house. They had rented it and then we we're at a cookout and I had nothing else to do. And I watched Joe versus the volcano and I'm like, this movie's the bomb. And I told all my friends, I'm like, you're stupid. This movie sucks. And I'm like, all right, I'm in. So uh, I'm going to make my case for Joe versus the volcano. All right. So next week, we, uh, we hope you check us out again. We are the film crickets. Take care. Yep. Thanks guys. Film crickets. Trip mountain.